Welcome to the Shift Gold Friday Gold Wrap, your overview this week's precious metals news. It's Friday, June 3rd. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, friends. Come on into my office. Lie down on my couch. We're going to have a little bit of a therapy session. I'm going to dig into the deep recesses of your psyche. Okay, maybe not your psyche, but the psyche of the markets. But before we start our therapy session, I want to talk a little bit about a news item that came out this week that I think is pretty interesting. Demand for American Gold Eagle bullion coins exploded in May, according to the latest data from the U.S. Mint. This indicates to me that more people are worried about inflation and are skeptical of the Fed's ability to fight it, then we might realize if we're just watching, you know, Fox News or Fox Business or CNBC or any of the mainstream financial media. The Mint sold 147,000 ounces of American Gold Eagle coins in varying denominations uh, last month. That totaled 200,500 coins. It was a 67% increase from March sales, and overall this year, sales are higher. In fact, a lot higher. As of the end of May, the U.S. Mint had sold 661,500 ounces of American Gold Eagles. For the year, demand for these gold bullion coins is up a staggering 617%. Now, when you factor out of... um, Factor out the COVID-19 related sales disruptions that we've seen. Bullion sales this year are actually up 400% over the five-year average between 2015 and 2019. So somebody's buying physical gold and, and quite a bit of it. A market strategist told Kitco News that the surge in demand for physical metal reflects growing investor anxiety that's bubbling under the surface. Quote, bullion sales better reflect the anxiety investors are feeling right now. When you hear economists talk about a recession, it starts to make sense why bullion sales are so strong. Gold will always be a long-term store of value. Long-term being key, something I'm going to touch on here in a few minutes. Now, you can make a pretty good case that the recession that he mentions is already here. There are plenty of data points that would lead you to this conclusion, particularly, uh, not the least of which, uh, is the big negative GDP print we got in Q1. I have to travel this weekend, so I'm actually prepping the podcast early, uh, so I'm not going to be able to get into the unemployment numbers that are supposed to come out today. It's going to be interesting to see where these numbers fall for May. Um, I would expect them to still be relatively strong, but the ADP private payroll numbers came in below expectations uh, and show the slowest growth of the post-pandemic era. Now, it's important to remember that jobs are a lagging indicator. You're not going to start seeing big layoffs until you get a bit deeper into a recession. Uh, Some of the leading indicators, such as the housing market, as I covered extensively in last week's show, are certainly flashing recession warning signs. Consumer sentiment is also continuing to drop. The Conference Board's Consumer Confidence Index for May slipped to 106.4. That was down from 108.6 in April. So, you know, despite the sagging sentiment 
and some pretty ugly economic data, to be frank, the mainstream financial media hasn't really picked up on all of this. It's not really worried about a deep recession. Now, of course, a lot of people are worried about a mild recession uh, as the Fed fights inflation, but nobody seems to be worried about a really big economic crash. Um, But despite this, I think there is obviously some people that are starting to pick up on it. There are obviously worries um, out there, and these folks are buying physical gold. But, you know, we're still not seeing any real strong upward movement in price. We did have a bit of a rally yesterday. Gold was back over 1850 an ounce, driven by some dollar weakness. You know, 1850 right now seems to be kind of the pivot point. We're kind of falling below that and then and then kind of getting it back above it. So that is where the support seems to be. Um, that's really not a very high pivot point. Um, I think most people listening to this show would agree that the pivot point should be much higher given the inflation and given the condition of the economy. In fact, one of the questions that I am asked most often is, why hasn't gold rallied as we would expect given historically high inflation? There's a tinge of frustration in that question as well. And I get it. People bet that the transitory inflation narrative was wrong. They bought gold and silver. They bet right. But the house hasn't paid up as expected. Well, at least not yet. So, Mike, what gives? I am asked this all the time. I encourage you to watch the video that Peter Schiff made this week. He explains why we shouldn't give up on gold and silver, and he does a really good job of analyzing the thinking that's out there in the mainstream right now that has created these headwinds for precious metals, and more importantly, why this conventional thinking is wrong. Now, wrong think always gets exposed in the long run, so there are plenty of good reasons to believe we will ultimately see the rally in gold and silver people have expected, but I'm not going to go through this whole video Uh, on the show. I'll encourage you to watch it. I'll link to it on the show notes page, and uh, I I think it'll be worth the 20 minutes or so that it will take to watch Peter's video. But for the show, I kind of want to zoom out and look at things from a larger perspective. I want to talk a little bit about market psychology, because I think it plays a huge factor, especially in the movements of the markets in the short run. A listener to the podcast actually introduced me to a concept known as normalcy bias, and I think it explains a lot of the behavior that we're seeing in the markets today. Before I get into normalcy bias, though, I want to touch on time preference because I think it has a big impact on the markets as well. Most people today tend to have very high time preferences. And that simply means that they want it now. If you have a high time preference, you want money, you want things in the here and now, you're not inclined to wait until later. People with low time preferences are much more willing to put things off until the future. A high time preference person is going to whip out the credit card and buy it now. A low time preference person is going to sock the money away, save up until they have enough to buy the thing and then buy it because they're more concerned with uh, later than they are with the here and now. Um, 
people who come at me about gold not going up over the last year have high time preferences. Now, personally, I've gotten progressively lower time preferences as I've gotten older. I'm not worried so much about gold this year or next year or really even five years from now. I'm buying gold today for two decades from now. I think time preferences overall have gotten progressively higher in general with subsequent generations. I look at my grandfather. He had extremely low time preferences, and I think this was true of a lot of people that went through the Great Depression. My grandfather was frugal, which is a nice way of saying he was kind of cheap. I mean, he was not big on spending money, right? He would hold money hand and fist and and you know when he, when we he did spend he would spend a lot of time you know studying to save the most money possible by the time he passed away though he had a substantial nest egg including gold coins that he paid less than $300 an ounce for he basically built generational wealth and honestly i'm enjoying the fruits of that today But most people today seem to have more of an eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die mentality. So, you know, again, high time preferences. And I get it. I'm not even saying that this is wrong. Uh, Time preferences are very personal things. And, you know, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just how you view the world. Um, But investing with a high time preference is risky. I mean, if you're trying to strike it big today, if your goal is to, you know, hit it big, you know, make a big bunch of money now, that's risky. And if you're going to risk, then there's the possibility that you could also lose a big bunch of money today. So if you're listening to me talk about buying gold and silver, I'm pretty much always coming at it from a low time preference standpoint. And, uh, you know, that's why I don't get real up or down about the movements in uh, the day-to-day price of gold. Now, you know, overall, the psychology of markets fascinates me. Um, again, as I mentioned, today we'll get the job numbers. I guarantee you there will be big market moves based on that jobs data. But we could see some contravailing data on Monday that will completely shift sentiment. So, you know, we could we could get really good jobs data today and the stock market could go up and everybody will be all excited and, you know, oh, the Fed's going to keep tightening and blah. And then something could come up Monday, something that's different, and that whole thing could unwind. It's really almost a 24-7 news cycle that drives the stock markets because so many people are in it for that quick big buck. They're they're high time preference people. They're looking for uh, the hit it big. Um, Jerome Powell says something, you know, markets move. Now, for me, I prefer to analyze things more based on my understanding of macroeconomics. Again, I'm looking at a longer term. I'm looking at things through a broader perspective. So, you know, a lot of people criticize Peter Schiff, and I think we share very similar a view of of the investing world. And a lot of people will criticize Peter because they'll say, well, you know, uh, they'll look at things over the last five years. Well, he was wrong. Well, it's not so much that he was wrong. I mean, if you believe the underlying macroeconomics that we're operating out of here, um, it's easy to predict things. It's harder to predict, predict timelines because, again, there are so many factors that interplay and interweave when you're looking at economics. But, you know, that's just kind of the way that 
I view the world. I'm a low time preference person and I'm looking at things from uh, kind of the long run. I think this is a marginally better strategy than basing your investment decisions on what some politically connected banker over at the Fed says in a press conference. But, you know, hey, that's just me, right? Anyway, average people are clearly worried about the economy. As I've already mentioned, consumer confidence has been falling. We've seen this spike in gold bullion sales. So some people are worried. And most people undoubtedly feel the squeeze of inflation. I mean, I have an anxiety attack every time my gas gauge dips below a quarter tank. But despite the general discontent out there, most people don't seem to think a severe economic downturn is imminent, despite a lot of warning signs that are out there. They're certainly not prepping for a 2008-style crash or a deep recession or even, you know, worse, a depression. I guess I'm kind of talking more in the aggregate here, you know, and maybe not even so much about, you know, what the guy over at the grocery store might think, but how the mainstream is projecting consumer confidence in the economy and what's going on. I'm talking about the mainstream narrative. It could well be that the average person is a lot more worried than the narrative that's out there would have us believe. But still, when I talk to people, I get the feeling that, you know, of course they understand it's pretty bad out there right now. You can't pass the gas station without realizing that, you know, there are problems. Um, But I think there's an assumption that this too shall pass. And the question is why? Why isn't there more noise about a looming economic crash? Why are there only a few people out there that are really saying, hey, this is really bad. You know, we could see a severe depression, stagflation. You don't hear any of that out there. I mean, it doesn't seem that far out of the realm of possibility, right? But beyond frustration with rising gas prices and maybe grocery prices, I feel like the mainstream is still sanguine about the economy. Inflation is a problem, but hey, they're going to fix it. I've talked about this quite a bit. The prevailing sentiment in the mainstream is that the Fed will be able to tame the inflation dragon with some modest monetary tightening. You know, we may get interest rates to 2.5%, 3%. Going to do a little balance sheet reduction, but they're going to get the inflation under control. And, you know, they may even concede that we might have a little recession because of this, but The mainstream believes Jerome Powell when he claims the economy is strong enough to handle the higher interest rates and some balance sheet reduction. Virtually nobody besides Peter Schiff and a few other contrarians out there sees anything like a major economic problem coming down the pipe. But we should be wary, okay? Nobody saw the 2008 financial crisis coming either. I mean, looking back, we know the Great Recession started six or seven months before anybody acknowledged that there was a recession at all. All of the talking heads and the politicians and the central bankers at the Fed were telling us, hey, everything is fine. Nothing to worry about. The problems are contained. You know, just go back a couple of years further. In retrospect, the signs of a housing crash were pretty darn obvious in 2006 and even early 2007. Peter Schiff warned about it. Ron Paul warned about it. It was apparent that there were serious problems in early 2008, but almost nobody in the mainstream saw the financial crisis and the Great Recession coming. Like today, 
there were only a few voices out in the wilderness sounding a warning. More recently, we had the whole transitory inflation thing. Janet Yellen just admitted this week that she was wrong about transitory inflation. Now, remember, just a few months ago, the Treasury Secretary, the former Fed chair, was talking about the risk of inflation being small and manageable. Now she says, quote, well, look, I think I was wrong then about the path that inflation would take. Yeah, you think? She said, as I mentioned, there have been unanticipated and large shocks to the economy that have boosted energy and food prices and supply bottlenecks that have affected our economy badly that I didn't at the time fully understand. But we recognize that now. Well, good for you, Janet. Didn't fully understand. Really? I mean, you get paid to understand this stuff. I understood it. I'm just a podcaster. To quote NFL quarterback Jameis Winston, check the tape. I was warning about this months ago. How is it that a former Fed chair, the Treasury Secretary, didn't see this coming? So that leads to the question at hand. Why is it that so few people are prepared for economic crashes when the warning signs are so obvious, especially if you look at it in retrospect. Why don't we see it at the time? Why do we have to look at it, you know, with 2020 hindsight? Now, there are certainly a lot of factors that go into this, but one likely reason people don't seem to see the train hurtling down the tracks is a psychological phenomenon known as normalcy bias. In a nutshell, normalcy bias is a form of denial, and it's based on the assumption that everything's going to continue as normal. Here's a more formal definition. Normalcy bias is a psychological state of denial people enter in the event of a disaster, as a result of which they underestimate the possibility of the disaster actually happening and its effects on their life and property. Their denial is based on the assumption that if the disaster has not occurred until now, it will never occur. So in simple terms, it's kind of the it can't happen to me or the it can't happen to us syndrome. Normalcy bias leads to inaction. So it's one of the reasons that people often ignore hurricane warnings. The assumption is, well, we haven't ever had a hurricane here, uh, or if we have, it really wasn't that bad. So, you know, there's really no reason to leave. We underestimate the storm. We assume things will continue on as normal. According to Psychologini, there may be some evolutionary basis for normalcy bias. Quote, there is a theory that associates normalcy bias with the evolutionary aspect that suggests that paralysis gives an animal a better chance of survival because predators are less likely to attack and feed on something that isn't moving. So, you know, again, if you're not worried about something, you don't prepare for it, you don't move. This is great if predators are hunting you in the jungle. I'm not in the jungle, though. And it's not so great if an economic disaster is looming. As I was pondering this uh, idea of normalcy bias, I think it's one of the reasons that the Federal Reserve's transitory inflation narrative gained so much traction. You know, despite the money printing after the 2008 financial crisis, consumer prices never rose as much as many people had predicted. Now, now, mind you, consumer prices did rise. And it's always important to remember that when you get the CPI data, 
it's always understating inflation. Prices are always rising more than the government's telling you. You're always losing more of your purchasing power than the official government numbers are letting on. But still, all in all, when you look at all of the QE that was done in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis, we didn't see the big spike in consumer prices that a lot of economists thought that we would get. Now, we did get price increases, but the way that that money went into the financial system, the, the way it went into the economy, it manifested itself more in asset prices. So we saw a huge rise in stocks. We saw a huge rise in real estate. We saw a huge rise in uh, bonds. We even saw a rise in things like art. So assets, that's where we really saw the uh, increase in prices. That's where inflation manifested. Because always remember that inflation is an increase in the money supply. We definitely had inflation after 2008. You know, the Fed created it. So we're talking about where did the inflation manifest itself? So because we didn't see a big spike in consumer prices and because people generally like it when their asset prices inflate, this led Fed policymakers to assume that they could do quantitative easing again and heck, even double down on it without severely impacting consumer prices. I mean, it didn't cause a problem before. Normalcy bias kicks in. It's not going to cause a problem now. Of course, the dynamics were very much different during the pandemic. Not only was the Fed printing trillions of dollars, but the U.S. government was also handing out cash in the form of stimulus checks, even as most Americans were sitting at home producing nothing. So this was a recipe for rapidly rising prices. Again, normalcy bias kicked in. We were told inflation didn't happen before, so don't worry, it won't happen now. An assumption set in. Things will continue as they always have. And when prices started to spike, these same people assured us that it was just transitory because that's the only way it could fit into their normalcy narrative. Similarly, I think the normalcy bias has played a role in gold and silver's lackluster performance in recent months. Basically, even though we have a lot of inflation in the form of rising consumer prices today, investors still think we won't have inflation tomorrow. Because the Fed has been able to raise interest rates and keep inflation at bay in the past, the mainstream just assumes it will be able to modestly raise interest rates and keep inflation at bay this time around as well. Never mind that there are different dynamics in play and plenty of signs that inflation will likely remain entrenched over the coming months. Normalcy bias has blinded people to the fact that it would require a Paul Volcker-style rate hike to push real interest rates into positive territory. That's the only cure for inflation. They're not going to do that. At some point, reality will cut through the normalcy bias. It always does. But when the mainstream wakes up, it's too late because that inaction has led them to the point of no return. So, if we're going to get ahead of the game, we need to realize now what's going on and get ahead of the folks who are still caught up in normalcy bias. So as you survey the economic landscape, just be aware of normalcy bias. There is no reason to assume that things will continue as they always have. There's no reason to assume that the dollar will always be the reserve currency. You know, that's normalcy bias. It's not necessarily a fact. So just keep your eyes on the economic data, analyze it objectively, and keep basic economic principles in mind, and then prepare accordingly. 
And one way you can prepare accordingly is to talk to a shift gold precious metals specialist. They can help you see how precious metals can fit into your investment strategy into your portfolio, into your preparations for what could be coming down the pike. Just call 1-888-GOLD-160 or shoot them an email to info at shiftgold.com or just go to shiftgold.com news and you'll most likely get a pop-up where you can actually chat with a precious metal specialist right there on the website. Do it today. It will be worth a few minutes of your time. So that is a gold wrap for this week. I got to get on a plane and go to Nashville, Tennessee. I hope you have a great weekend. You can get more details on all of these stories and more. And of course, keep up with the latest uh, news and analysis relating to precious metals throughout the week over at shiftcold.com news. And if you haven't done it already, of course, you can subscribe to the Friday Gold Wrap podcast over at uh, iTunes Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We're on the Shift Gold YouTube channel. You'll find links to all of this stuff over on the show notes page at shiftgold.com news. You can shoot me an email, mmahari at shiftgold.com. Love to hear from folks. Like I said, I got the uh, whole idea for normalcy bias from a listener, and I really do appreciate that. So shoot me a note. And again, have a fantastic weekend.